ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the Phantom Academy podcast. I am your host, Kyle, joined today by Rich. Hello, Rich. Hello, Kyle. Today, we will be discussing the wonderful, the fantastic Mr. Fox. Oh, it's such a good movie. I know it is. Uh, don't forget to follow us everywhere. Uh, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, which apparently Stitcher has been bought by Pandora, which is something I just found out. Um, so we're now on Pandora. Oh. Uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, whatever. Uh, yeah, I don't know how many more we're going to be doing after this, but uh, you know what? Screw it. We're back. Fuck it. Nice. We're back. We're doing it live. Nice. Um, yeah, so it's been uh, it's been some six months, man. It's, uh, yeah, yeah. How you been? Uh, I've been well. It's a good winter. Winter is here. Yeah, uh, winter is not here. It's uh, the, the dream of spring is here. There you go. Right? Is that the next book that's coming out? Um, no, The Winds of Winter is the next one. Dream of oh, and then, Dream of Spring's the last one. Oh, okay. Yeah. So we're we're in the Dream of Spring right now. We yeah. uh we skipped the Winds of Winter. Hmm. But I'm well. We, I'm well, thank you. I'm well. Good. Good. Yeah, Phantom Academy, we uh we took a little hiatus there for a little bit. Everybody had a lot of life stuff going on. My job got really busy essentially and I couldn't edit anything, so that put everybody else on hold. So, it's fun time. Fun time. All right. Uh, yeah. So we'll just kind of jump right into the big thing here, I guess. Right? Yeah. Yeah. You got no side commentary or any any shit you want to stir. Um, I do, but we can wait. I mean, is it related to the actual topic or? No, it... no, it's completely off topic. So we'll. No, I mean, I'm, I'm I'm interested in what this is now. Well, just coincidentally, Kyle, I happen to be wearing a lovely sweatshirt. It is a beautiful purple Minnesota Vikings sweatshirt. On the front, it has the Minnesota Vikings logo. And on the back, it has uh, number 33, Dalvin Cook. And I bought this sweatshirt as a gift to myself for winning our Fantasy Football League championship against you, um, who had a wonderful team. But Dalvin Cook uh, helped me win. So I want to say congratulations to you on a great season. And... uh, I want it though, so yeah. Dalvin Cook could suck my dick. I don't blame you. So there. You- He's a uh, fucking asshole. <laughs> so not you, Dalvin Cook. So yeah, so you know everybody knows that uh, our trio came together. At least Dan joined us uh, through our fantasy league. Kyle and I knew each other previously, but we have mentioned it, and there it was. Dan had a nice year too. He he made. Dan had a very good. Yeah, year. Yeah, had a very good year. But it was, uh, I, if I'm not mistaken, that's his best statistical year so far. Um, one of his two best. He he had another year where he had a solid team, made the playoffs. But yeah, it was uh, it was a really good year for him. Yeah, Phantom Academy showing up. Yes, exactly. So thank you for the uh, pause on business at hand. That's all the shit I'm going to start. Let's talk about Zack Snyder, Justice League. <laughs> who would have fucking thought that the one thing that would bring us back right? is, the, uh, <laughs> is the fucking Snyder Cut? There's so much poetry to that. There really is. If you think about it from October, what has come out since October? We've had Mando, WandaVision. Uh, was The Boys October? Or was that earlier? Um, The Boys was... La- yeah, The Boys was a while ago. Yeah, like it's... Oh my! There were other movies that have come out. Uh, Ryan the Last Dragon came out. Um, I'm trying to think of what other movies have I watched that have come out since then. I mean, just just the two things you mentioned alone. 
I mean, Mando being the big thing. Yeah. And then WandaVision, which was recently. But Mando, in and of itself, was reason enough. But it was like, no, no, we're going to, you know, continue, yeah. continue with the break. Yeah. You know, it, it wasn't anything that I don't think any of us were really, like, clamoring to really talk about with it. So, yeah. Same same with WandaVision. I mean, Dan might feel different on that one, but I I wasn't really clamoring to to go with it. But that's beside the point. Right. But yeah, so fucking Snyder Cut finally gets released four years later. Right. Twenty seventeen is when Justice League came out. Yeah. 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 So Josh Sweden, man, what a piece of shit. Oh man, I mean, he really is. I he's a dick. If I'm happy for one thing about this, that, you know, this cut came out and that it's, you know, spoiler alert, it's good. Um, I'm going to just preface this right now. This is full spoiler discussion. So if you haven't watched the Snyder Cut yet, you know, and you plan on watching it, turn it off. Mm -hmm. If you're looking for reasons to watch it, keep listening. Um, But, man, it was fucking day and night between the Snyder Cut and the Weeding Cut. Yeah. Like, this is infinitely better and i'm so happy that it's better because like everything that's been going on with uh joss whedon right now mm-hmm. like i'm just happy that this was like uh okay that you really really screwed the pooch on it yeah yeah i i agree and you know like if it was jj abrams or some other you know big budget director we wouldn't be reveling in it but just with all the news surrounding him and just the way he completely like massacred you know taking over like a perfect example ron howard takes over solo you know the star wars movie solo yeah and he does a ron howard job with it ron howard you know one of the most competent directors of the last 30 years does a good job you know not stellar not like rogue one but good and everybody's all right with it joss whedon takes it over and just like upends everything from the original vision and not only upends it, but questionably, like, that's the creative decision you went with? It's so bizarre. And then on top of that, all the Ray Fisher stuff, you know, the guy who plays Cyborg, the stuff we've heard about him, and then, you know, a few months after that, just a couple months ago, other females coming out, actresses talking. So it's been compounded by his reputation. Normally, we're not going to revel in a director looking bad, but this one, you know... The Schadenfreude, I'm okay with it. So yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, man, fuck that guy. It's when that movie first came out, we, uh, I was one of the first people that said, "Thank God Zack Snyder's not doing this anymore," mm. because I hate Zack Snyder. You know, I do not like yes. Zack Snyder movies. You, I'm the first person to say I do not enjoy any of his work outside of maybe 300. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm probably one of his toughest critics out there. Yes. And I was so happy that when Whedon took over and when I saw the film initially, I remember my thoughts being, okay, well, he had to, me- mm. he had to go through Snyder's bullshit to, to figure it out. And he had to go through all of that dude's horrendous mm-hmm. filmmaking and all of his bad scenes and dialogue to figure this all out. And I was, and then I, I remember leaving the theater being like, okay, like for what this is, it's okay. And then we get this and it's just like, Oh my God, it's completely 100% flipped. And it's what the hell was Whedon thinking? Yeah. Like there's not, 
in Whedon's story, it's very known that there's no cognitive storyline. Nothing makes sense. It's just there for there. Mm. Like, it's it's just there. Um, this was four hours of just pure DC-filled nostalgia, storylines, you know, things being, you know, broken down into, like, the, the molecule level. It was... It was fantastic. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I can't, you know, it was compared to the original. This was, this was like watching like, uh, like Saving Private Ryan for the first time or something like that. It, it was fantastic. Yeah. I think that's surprise number one for me was that it was such a completely different movie. It's, it's not the same movie in any way, shape or form. It really isn't. And that stunned me. I mean, when we st- first talked about this last year together when this was decided we had ridiculously low expectations thought all right some tweaks here some added scenes there maybe some new footage all right whatever it was it was it was a whole new movie it really was yeah and it it wasn't all good but there was a lot more good that outweighs the bad and the bad that's there isn't horrible right i i think that's one of the big takeaways for this is that you know, especially for me, when it comes to Snyder, I do not like him. I do not like his style. I don't like anything that he really does. I don't like the way that he writes, directs, the whole nine yards. Um, but this proves two things, in my opinion. This film, in general, proves that Snyder has a brain in the sense of, like, he knows what story he wants to tell. He just isn't a good director in the sense of he's not able to tell it within the normal time constraints of a movie. And this is something that we talked about earlier. So I don't think that if he had filmed all of this, right, he had all four hours and then he had to get it down into a theatrical release form and get it down to even three hours. There are so many pivotal scenes that are so small on this, but all play such an integral role to the film that I don't think you could really cut anything out to chop it down to three hours or two hours to make it a theatrical release. So I think a lot of the setup for this film should have been done better. But with that in mind, it was, it was still enjoyable. And this is probably Zack Snyder's best work, if I'm being completely honest. Mm. And, you know, I want to revisit something I've said about you previously that you always have a way of making a point I didn't think of and I find super insightful. And this was one of them when you said this today. Because I think Zack Snyder, as a technician, as someone who knows the craft of, you know, putting something on the screen, the visuals, the art of it, he's he's as good as anyone. He can put visuals up there as well as as Spielberg, J.J. Abrams, Christopher Nolan, Wes Anderson, he has an eye. He does. He's good at that craft. But the way you phrased it just now and earlier today, he's not an efficient filmmaker. You know, I what I said to you earlier that like Stanley Kubrick, Kubrick and David Fincher are famous for filming reels upon reels upon reels, but then they can take that and make a two- to two-and-a-half-hour movie and a brilliant movie. And as you've pointed out, Zack Snyder, he can't do that. You can't pull anything away, otherwise the house of cards falls apart. So I think you really nailed it. The guy can do the job of role and, you know, storyboarding and visuals. I mean, his visuals hold up to anyone's visuals. And the 
dramaticness and the use of music and color and all of it, but the cohesiveness of his story, he can't do it in less than two hours. So that makes him flawed. So I agree with you. Given this four-hour format, it's okay. It worked, you know. So that's a really good insight that Zack Snyder is talented but flawed, but it worked for this. It really, really did. Yeah, I kind of put him into that J.J. Abrams category of a great technician, like you said, has great vision, but when it, he gets behind the camera, it just it something just happens and it just something goes wrong. Right. They go for too long and then they can't edit it down or it just gets filmed weird and can't get it down. Yeah. It's you know they're they're two peas in a pod for me mm-hmm. and I don't necessarily dislike J.J. Abram, Abrams, um, but I'm also not J.J. Abrams' biggest fan. Right. I agree. So it, my you know he's he's kind of there, take it or leave it for me. Zack Snyder, I think it's more of the fan base that I don't like than him. Gotcha. But. Makes sense. And here's the perfect example: like J.J. Abrams worked well when he was doing Star Trek when it wasn't a super complex movie the first reboot with Christopher Pine with Chris Pine was really good you know but when you get something like uh what was it the the last skywalker was that the name of the yeah and, the last guy rise of skywalker rise of skywalker i always just screw that up cuz i don't care you get something com- yeah, i'm right there with you yeah. it doesn't exist to me when you ha- have a complex story like that and when you have a complex story like multiverse type stuff, flashpoints type stuff. Zack Snyder, that's, you know, a little too complex for him to be able to tell a succinct movie. You know, like the Russos were able to do Infinity War, they were able to do Endgame, longer runtimes, and pack in complex with some flawed plot holes, but it still worked. Zack Snyder, he can't do a two and a half hour movie of this complexity. Four hours, he did it. So, yeah. Yeah, Zack Snyder to me is kind of like, I feel like he would be better as like an author or like a comic book writer Mm -hmm. because he would be able to then detail out everything that's going on and tell the long format. Mm -hmm. But translating it to the big screen and the time constraints that are there, it just it doesn't equate. Right. So it's it's a weird situation. But that's that's my take on Zack Snyder. Yeah. Um, and for the record, I actually Dan and I both we like Zack Snyder more than Kyle does. I know his flaws, but you know, Dawn of the Dead, his first movie, is a great movie. Uh three hundred. Watchmen is flawed, but again, Watchmen, the extended version, much better. Um Legends of the Guardians is a really good animated movie that a lot of people don't know. Sucker Punch was bad. Man of Steel, eh. But I don't dislike him. But I don't love him. But I like him more than Kyle. We'll leave it at that. Yeah, so well, uh, that, that's like Man of Steel is actually a good segue into something that I wanted to talk about real quick. All right. Is the, uh, the Ron Tomato scores on this. Mm. So... For his three entries into the DCEU or the Snyderverse, whatever you want to call it, uh, Man of Steel, 2013, it's sitting at a 56% critic, 75% audience. Batman vs. Superman, Dawn of Justice, 29% critic, 63% audience. So, you know, that's not too, not too great there. No. This bucks the trend mm-hmm. dramatically. Mm-hmm. 75% critic, 97% audience. Now, I'm someone who I take Ron Tomatoes with a grain of salt. 
because it's open edit, it's open source. People can review bomb. People, you know, if you get a, a passion, a fan base, they can boost it up. Mm-hmm. Um, I think as a whole, people put too much stock into Rotten Tomatoes. But looking at something as dramatic as this, it really shows. And it really tells you something that, you know, there's there's something to be said here um, with just the quality of the film when it makes that much of a dramatic jump, especially with the critic score. Right. Yes. Because everybody knows that the Snyder Army was out in full force and they're going to pump it up because, you know, they they spent the past four years trying to get this made and, you know, backing him and, and get, trying to get it out there. But the critic score jumped for me like his last film was 29%. It wasn't even 30%. And for that to jump up to 75% in the same universe mm-hmm. is insane. Yeah. It yeah. It, it just kind of goes and shows how great of a film this was. Yeah, and I think that there's a there is a bump because like you said the promotion of fans to get this movie made or get it released. Um the whole Joss Whedon thing, the sympathy towards Zack Snyder with the tragedy that caused him to to leave the movie initially and on top of it Zack Snyder is actually like he's a decent guy you see him in interviews the last few years and in the last six months he's a he cares about all this stuff and he's a nice guy he's a decent person I keep seeing that on Twitter I've seen actually today some zoom call screenshots where he's putting you know certain trolley type people negative just ugly people in their place for certain things in a good, healthy way. So people are rooting for him and rooting against Joss Whedon. So I do think that the audience score probably does give him a bump because you're rooting for him. But I agree. It is reflective of the fact that it's, it is a good movie. So, yeah. yeah. 100%. Um, all right. I, I'm done talking like Snyder. Snyder okay. Now. Yeah. Now, yeah. I'm, I'm ready to jump into the actual film now because 15 minutes on Snyder is more than I ever want to talk about him. <laughs> um, all right, so let's let's just jump right into this. Um, the first big thing that I noticed as far as the change outside of the runtime of four hours um, was during the opening with how they divvied up this movie into various parts. Do you think that helped with it, or do you think that kind of heard it a little bit as far as pacing goes as far as you know making the movie feel organic together what 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 did you think of the actual breaking it into part one part two part three part four etc i loved it i really loved it 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 gives it a scale in in a certain way that i really enjoy you know back in the day you'd watch sound of music or the godfather it'd be on two tapes two VC, VCR tapes, or even in the theater, there'd be an intermission. You know, epic movies like that, David Lean movies, Lawrence of Arabia, there's something cool about that. But just having that little end scene and go right into next, I like it. It's old school. It, each time I enjoyed it and it would say the episode and I'd, I'd wait those few seconds for what's the title going to be. So I dug it. It didn't break anything for me. If anything, it enhanced it. Yeah, I agree. I think it really helped make this not feel like four hours. Right. Um, yes, the, that's a good point. Yeah. I, I know that I texted you, you know, an hour into it, and I was like, hey, I'm an hour in. Does this get any better? Is the pacing any better? Um, and I know that when we talked this morning about it, you know, I said a similar thing about how the first two hours felt a little slower than the second two hours. Um, but reflecting back on it and thinking about how the part 
one part two part three were integrated into the film it actually i feel like it helps speed the entire movie along Mm -hmm. because of the fact that you're it's similar to how you made the vhs analogy of okay you got to flip the tape now it's the next part and stuff like that and i remember when i was younger and when there was vhs you know on two separate tapes like that they would always cut the first tape right after a scene Mm -hmm. so like it would be like you know there'd be like an important scene happens and then they would cut the tape and then you know you would pick it back up and then it was as if like the next scene started but they brought you back into the film right like it wasn't like uh okay we're gonna cut it halfway through a scene or like we're gonna cut it halfway through something like it was always we're gonna pick it back up for you and walk you back into this right and that's what this felt like to me was every time that a part started and ended it walked us into the scene and into the part and it walked us out of the part and then it walked us back into the next part and walked us out it wasn't just a random okay we're gonna break this up just to break it up it all flowed and it all served a nice purpose i felt yeah i would agree you know it made me as you're talking about and describe it also makes me think of how like george lucas and star wars borrows from kurosawa with the way the scenes the sliding of the scene into the next one it's it's just a cool effect and this is a different effect clearly but sometimes when you can do something a little different to end scene start scene i like that it works yeah it it doesn't feel like it's just one scene after another scene after another scene it feels like i know that this was talked about as potentially being released as five or six individual parts mm-hmm because it was divvied out like this, it feels like that methodology could have worked for this. Yeah. Where if I wanted to sit down and just watch part one one day, I could. And then come back and watch part two and part three and part four. There was nothing that was like, oh my God, I'm, you know, this just broke it up in the middle of part one and now I need to go to part two. It was, you know, it felt very contained within itself. Yeah. Which was a very nice thing. I agree. Um, I mean, as far as that entire structure goes, it was, it was great. It helped everything kind of flow naturally with it. Um, one of the big things or one of the big changes that also really helped keep everything together and coherent. And this is probably the biggest change from what we got with Whedon to what we get with this. And that's Cyborg's character arc. Mm Mm-hmm. I was absolutely blown away with the amount of time that they gave him with the amount of space, the amount of depth that they were able to give the character. As you know, I'm a huge cyborg fan. Uh, my fantasy football team is named the Vic Stone cyborgs Mm -hmm. because I love him. Like I love that character so much. Um, I grew up, you know, watching teen Titans and that was like, he was my guy. Like everybody loved Rob and everybody loved Starfire. I love cyborg. That was my dude. Um, so when he was originally announced for justice league, I was, uh, you know, very, very excited about it. Uh, and then what we got with the weeding cut, I was very disappointed because it was, it was a complete betrayal to his character and how he is and who he is. And then with this, I was like, okay, it can't get any worse. And they absolutely, he crushed it. Absolutely crushed the character how he integrates into the story, how he really is the heart of the story. And I could not be more happy with it. Good. I'm glad because, as you've said, I know how important that character is to you. And just in a storytelling, you know, superhero movie, storytelling sense, I loved it. 
it, like you said, it was the heart of the movie, and that was Zack Snyder's intention. And I think we needed him to be the heart of the movie, and we needed of all the characters these superhero characters of all the ones that we needed backstory on. It's him, you know, Superman, Batman, those origin stories are woven into our DNA. Most people know the flash. She's had TV shows, wonder woman, Aquaman. We've had movies. People know them. A lot of people don't know cyborg. So it makes sense that we're going to get more of his origin story and the way his origin story is woven into this story that they're telling with the mother box and the, you know, the, the alien technology, all of it, and just his growth from I'm a monster, what the heck, the trauma of all of it to, okay, I'm part of a team and I'm in. It was perfect. We needed him for the story. We needed him for his origin story. And I agree. I thought it was wonderful. And Ray Fisher, you know, I, it was a beautiful performance. I loved his performance. It's been since what, 2017 that they gutted, Joss Whedon gutted his performance. And I haven't seen Ray Fisher in anything else, but now we got to see Ray Fisher actually act. I thought he was wonderful. And I hope the guy gets more roles because of this. So I agree. And this just, I don't want to beat a dead do horse it, right now. Do it, do it. I'm with this you. This just makes Whedon look so much fucking worse. Right. This is one, it, yeah. It makes him look horrendous yeah. that he cut all of this out on Fisher. And when when Snyder comes in and redoes all this, and Fisher's now the star of the movie mm-hmm. and the breakout character of this movie, that just makes you look even fucking worse, man. Yeah. Like, oh my. If we are ranking people that who are having the best day ever today, is Zack Snyder one, Ray Fisher two. These are two people that are on top of the world today who look like. You know, absolute champions, smiling high, and God bless both of them. I'm happy for them, really, truly. Yeah, no, I I agree. This just good for both of them, and I'm so happy that Snyder did Cyborg's character justice. That was no pun intended. Uh, <laughs> that was one of my biggest fears mm-hmm. was you know him not being done properly and his story and his arc not being done right like it was in Justice League, and I I'm just I'm completely blown away. It was one of the biggest changes I. It, you know, from the theatrical to this, uh, absolutely fantastic. You know, yeah. take a bow, Ray Fisher. Yeah. Take a bow. And now getting more specific in terms of the cyborg story, one thing that I liked, it can be really, really tricky to stick the landing when it comes to father and son stuff. And it can be really, really tricky with all the father and son tropes that exist within dc with batman and his parents and superman and jor-el and you know pa kent we've been there and they stuck the landing joe morton is a great actor i love him he was good in this and they didn't overdo it and they that arc that journey those two they they did it and that's not easy to do and it's not easy to do in the DC superhero universe because of the stuff I just mentioned but but good on them they did it. Zack Snyder good job 100% and the one thing that I do have to say about Cyborg's dad um what the fuck's his character name Cyrus Cy- Silas or Cyrus 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 I think Silas something like that okay. whatever Papa Cyborg <laughs> um the the way that he's killed or the way that he sacrifices himself right Mm -hmm. in that moment i sat there and i was like what in the fuck is happening why Why? is he vaporizing himself yeah i was like what what is he doing with this 
And I thought it was going to be some stupid-ass, corny thing that Zack Snyder... I was like, this is it. This is where <laughs> Zack Snyder loses me. You had me hooked in yep. here for three hours thinking this was going to be good. And now this is where you lose me. And the moment that they that they brought up why they did mm-hmm. it, I was like, holy shit. I was like, that's actually fucking genius. Smart. Great. You know, bravo. You guys, like you said, stuck the landing perfectly right. with it. And, you know, it's, yeah. Kyle, it's funny you say that because clearly I was enjoying this movie from the get-go. So I was I was loving every second of it. But I had a, my own similar reaction where I'm watching this. I'm like, this seems like pretty cheesy, stereotypical you know, action movie, going to sacrifice myself, and it's stupid because it's pointless. Uh, this seems a little... It wasn't ruining it for me, but it was a little bit like, that's a bad creative... Ch- oh, it, wow! It, it, takes, it takes you out of it yeah. for a moment. And then the, the twist and the way um, Cyborg figures it out, and it, then we remember how they were heating the rock previously... And it's like yep. it's like oh nicely done. That was that was I'm with you. That was good. I I would have forgot that. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. That that was one of the moments, like one of the distinct moments in my mind, where it's such a small little piece of the story that mm-hmm. was being done, but that really was like got me to be like, okay, this is like they know what they're doing now. After three hours, I can say Zack Snyder kind of knows what he's doing with this. <laughs> he knows where he's going. He finally got you. All right. All right. Exactly. That that was the moment. Okay. But uh, one of the other big changes from, you know, theatrical to this was Steppenwolf. Mm-hmm. And I just need to talk about him for a moment because holy shit. The character change and the character arc that they gave Steppenwolf over this time was mind-blowingly fantastic. It was night and day. It's almost on par with Cyborg's level of, you know, character story change and the arc of the character. He went from being a whiny little grunt who, I'm just here for dark side, dark side, dark side, dark side, to being like, oh shit. Like, I'm here for a purpose. I'm here because I was banished and because of the fact that I let everybody down and I, I got people killed and I, you know, I'm not a great general and, like, I need to redeem myself. And, like, his entire storyline and his arc and the way visually that he was re-rendered, I think they absolutely nailed it on the head with him this time. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more and I think that is one of the biggest changes everybody's loving the look the story the arc the motivation the even just the subtlety of the action and fighting that he's involved in you know with the amazons and and throughout the movie when there was action scenes yeah steppenwolf goes from you know a, a 1 in 15 team to the nfc championship it's a complete reversal and that's a huge win so i'm with you there yeah and one of the things that i really uh that I really enjoyed about his character is I felt like in the first one or, you know, in the theatrical cut, he was very much a character that like, he was almost godlike where, Mm, right. Whoever was going at him, whether it was Atlanteans, the, the Amazonians, the humans, Batman, wonder woman, whoever was going at him, he felt like he was just indestructible. Mm -hmm. And it was that stereotypical superhero trope of, this guy's indestructible. We need a super team to beat him. Mm-hmm. This, that, the other thing. And in this, he felt very much like he could be killed at any point in time. That's a great point. I agree with you 100%. Which is 
when he was fighting off against the Amazons and the Amazons were holding him down, I was like, I was waiting for him to do the stupid superhero. I'm going to bust out of this and, you know, send everybody flying and then jump off. And that didn't happen. Mm -hmm. He, he peeled them off one by one, but that big explosion of bodies never happened. That which would normally happen in a Marvel movie or in a different DC movie, or he felt very, for a, for an alien, he felt very human. Yeah, it felt very and very defeatable, very vulnerable, and didn't have the reverse plot armor of the, you know, the uber villain that can't be defeated. I agree with you, and I I thought the same thing during the Amazon fight, and that's the thing. The Joss Whedon Justice League set us up, set me up, and we'll talk about some of the other things. Set me up for expecting certain things that we had previously, and was like, oh, oh, it was such a progression of oh, this isn't the same. Oh, okay, okay. And yeah, I agree with you on the um, the vulnerability now of, of Steppenwolf in addition to the awesomeness of Steppenwolf. So. Yeah, and I think they did a really good job of creating that vulnerability from that flashback scene. Mm-hmm. Um, the I know that that was one of like the highlights for me, at least, was that flashback scene of Darkseid trying to take over the Earth and all of the you know humans, Atlanteans, gods uh amazonians all coming together mm-hmm. that was one of the big highlights for me but when dark side was wounded and they had to bring him back to the ship in the moment i thought to myself that is fucking stupid dark side should never be wounded like that and i was absolutely furious with it and i was like this is it i'm done and i'm you know this zack snyder has no idea what he's doing and I'm pretty sure this happens, what, in part two, if I'm not mistaken? Yeah, very early. Um, yeah, it happens very early on. And I was very upset, and I was like, Darkseid doesn't get beaten like that. Like, he doesn't go down like that. Um, and then, as the film started going on, and Steppenwolf was more and more involved, and that vulnerability of his character was shown, I now understand and see why Darkseid was shown in that aspect of being that vulnerable as well. Because it shows that you know, if Darkseid, who is supposed to be this supreme being in the universe, who's supposed to be this old god that, you know, is indestructible, is able to take a, you know, is almost decapitated, essentially, by the gods on Earth and the Amazonians and the Atlanteans, then Steppenwolf can very easily be killed by Batman, Superman, and all them without issue. Um, so I think that the way that they played up that old scene or that flashback scene and then just opposed it throughout the film with Steppenwolf and his vulnerability, I think was very good. I would agree. Ta- um, working backwards on your point. Yeah, I think what what they did a good job with as Wonder Woman is is narrating that scene, she's letting us know very much so that, you know, it's the Atlanteans. And as she adds, before they go underwater and you have the humans and you have the gods and you have the the green lantern with them and the amazons and she's talking about the strength that existed in the unity of all the best of the best that were there to defend earth at the time and that was able to defeat dark side so now we also need the same now so they were sort of laying that groundwork there this is why it's needed because it is successful so that's sort of why, and I liked that, and they kept that. So it wasn't just there to have the action. It actually served the plot. It served the story, and I thought that was cool. And stuff that doesn't serve the plot, but I dug, 
I just enjoyed that whole sequence. I thought it was well filmed. I, I loved, I think you mentioned, I love seeing Zeus going. I loved seeing Ares, that Ares was the one that gave Darkseid the, Dark the, the shot. You know, because in Wonder Woman, which is a great movie, Ares was, you know, lame. And yeah. I enjoyed yeah. that the God of War is the one that, you know, kicks his ass. I thought that was, I don't, I, I was shocked at how cool I thought that was. But yeah, the flashbacks served a lot. And it was just a cool sequence in general. So um, kudos on that one. Yeah, I know one of the things that I said about the flashback uh, when we were talking about it privately was it made, to me at least, it made the universe feel so much larger. Right, yes, yes. Up until this point, it's everything DC has always been very focused on Batman. It's been focused on Superman. And then we had the addition of Wonder Woman and Aquaman and Shazam. But it's always been very individualized and always very focused on those A-tier characters. Mm -hmm. And it was fantastic to see Zeus, Ares, like you said. There were a few other, you know, few other people sprinkled in there. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, you have a Green Lantern in there. And then you have, you know, just regular Atlanteans, uh, Amazonians, humans. It just, it made this entire universe now feel so much larger than what it actually is. Or not what it actually is, but it it just made the scale of it feel so much larger. Right. Which with this kind of movie, that's great. You want that. You really do. Yeah. And I'm not going to front. It made me really, like for a moment, I was like, huh, having a Zeus and Ares movie might be kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And then I then I thought about it, and I was like, "No, nah, I don't want that. <laughs> <laughs> it won't be cool." Yeah, it it works in 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 this setting, you know. Give it the epic exactly. flashback, and all right, we'll move on from it. So exactly. Um. So Steppenwolf's character major upgrade. Cyborg's character major upgrade. Um. One of the bigger things that everybody's been kind of harping on since and you didn't watch any of the trailers right no i watched you know months ago the teaser that showed nothing new and then i i was done i'm like i want it all new okay so black suit superman Mm -hmm. what are your thoughts i loved it i did i mean i i have some notes here on some things to talk about and superman is one of them first of all his return in general was very well fleshed out you know, and then after his return, the way he progresses, all of it, I thought it was handled perfectly. Superman is it. He really is. And it was treated well. The visuals, you know, Zack Snyder really does love the, the Christ imagery when it comes to Superman. But it, he does lend himself to that type of imagery. So, you know, the farm, Martha Kent, Lois Lane, I thought it was all handled very well. He puts on the flannel shirt and then it... Gives him a little more memory and a little more feel. You know, the black suit, it works. It's right. It's good. It's a deviation. And it it looks phenomenal. Every single thing about Superman, I liked. I loved. I really did. You know? I did. What about you? Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I think this has been the best that Cavill Superman has ever looked. Hmm. Um, from a storyboard standpoint, um, I know a lot of people didn't like Man of Steel and how his character is portrayed and everything like that, but I think Cavill does a great job of being Clark Kent, mm-hmm. and I think he does a great job of being Superman. I agree. Um, the way that he was brought back this time, 
which is the same way that he's brought back essentially in the weeding cut, but there's a lot more flesh to it, mm-hmm. feels very earned. It doesn't feel like it's just, oh, we need Superman back because he's a cheat code and he's going to help us defeat everything. It felt very natural and very earned to be there at this point. Um, as far as the black suit Superman goes, I loved it. I hmm. I absolutely loved the way that they intertwined both uh, Jor-El yes. and Clark's dad. I forget his name. Uh, um, Jonathan Kent. Yeah, Jonathan. Jor-El and Jonathan, both with their monologues going underneath, you know, alternating between the two. And it's all about him having to, you know, help humanity and him having to be the best version of himself. And I love the fact that he goes with the black suit Superman because that, to me, signifies that he understands the responsibility that his father, Jor-El, gave to him when he was shot off a Krypton, when that planet was going up. That, to me, signifies that he's fully accepted that responsibility now and that he is prepared to be Earth's savior the way that Jor-El thought he could be. I agree wholeheartedly. I mean, first of all, having two acting legends like Russell Crowe and Kevin Costner as Jor-El and Jonathan Kent is perfect. Having those two actors go back and forth with that monologue is perfect. Having them go back and forth as, you know, Superman's dads and the context so that in and of itself, in a, in a vacuum, is perfect. But in service to the story, in service to Superman, it was wonderful. And the way it was filmed, you know, him walking through the ship and the different uniforms, costumes popping out, and they don't show the black one, but that's the one that faces, that he faces. And if you, you know, go watch it again, when he's facing the suit and he's, and he's facing the camera and the monologues are winding down... Just behind him, behind his left shoulder, is his classic, his iconic suit. And it starts to fade back into the closet. Like, no, it was filmed. All that was perfect. But in addition to that, I agree with everything you said wholeheartedly. In addition to that, the return of Superman was handled perfectly. And then Superman going from, you know, amnesia and fighting to getting his memory back to connecting with Lois. And then... That whole transition was just, it was wonderful. And he's happy with Lois. He's happy with his mom. He's happy on the Kansas farm. And he literally says, you know, they brought me back for a reason. So I need to find out why. And it felt, it's Superman. It was sincere. It felt natural. Like he is the hero of heroes. And he knows, you know, it didn't go so well the first time around. He's had his own rough journey, but they they need me. The world needs me. Like you said, you know, Jor-El, Jonathan Kent say the world needs you. It felt natural. They did it well. I liked it. And if I could just add one other point. One of the biggest things for me about this movie was how they brought him back. And like you said, it felt natural. It worked well. They connected it to the mother boxes. It had a good flow. And it touches on another improvement that I loved. I kept waiting for the team to bicker, to go at it. Because you remember Josh Whedon's, you know, Bruce Wayne, you know, prods and goes at Wonder Woman and, and Aquaman's fighting with them. And Batman's the only one that wants to bring him out. And they're all fighting. There was no bickering. They were cohesing as a, you know, coming together as a team. They agree on Superman and they're talking about the, the pitfalls. That was just so much better. So 
combined with the story, combined with the mother boxes, combined with the how and the why and the light bulb going off and them like doing that. It just, that whole thing was one of the, in addition to, you know, the Steppenwolf and all that was one of the best improvements of the movie, the way they just, he altered that story. So thank you. That's uh, I know that's a lot of point, but that all that stuff was huge for me and it really crushed it. It worked so well. All right. I agree. Um, I got two more positive things I want to talk about before we pivot off of this. So one of them is I just, I need to talk about Gal Gadot's Wonder Woman. And this has probably been the best Wonder Woman we've ever gotten. And that's including both movies and Batman vs. Superman. I was completely blown away with her, her dialogue, her presence of the character, uh, how the character was written, how she was being portrayed. I, I was absolutely blown away by it she gail gadot absolutely crushed it in every way shape and form and i was thoroughly impressed with how Zack snyder handled her character Mm -hmm. i couldn't agree more from the substance the performance the writing the story and even the action like the opening sequence with her where she's um breaking up that terrorist plot the action was just subtly better it sure it was it was day and night. Yeah. It, it really was. And somebody wrote something brilliant on Twitter because at the end of that sequence when she, you know, defeats uh, Roose Bolton and the terrorists and the one little girl that's clearly scared and she says the exchange. And somebody wrote something on Twitter that, you know, this was a nice, really cool exchange that Joss Whedon dumped for some inappropriate jokes in the movie. You know, some innuendo type jokes. And they're like, what a dick. So I agree. But that's a side point. But I agree with you. Gal Gadot, Wonder Woman, yes. 100%. And that scene that you're referring to when, when she goes to comfort the girl and she says, are you all right? And the girl says, yeah, I will be. That is a very off-the-page Wonder Woman comic thing that occurs fairly routinely throughout her comics right. when she's mm-hmm. helping you know civilians and stuff like that. And we've seen that in Wonder Woman and like the movies and like we've seen it in like the original one. We've seen it in 84. Um, but something about this instance of it felt more natural and more genuine and not as forced. Right. I feel like that's kind of the big thing with all of Wonder Woman's stuff right now is I feel like a lot of her material in her own movies is forced. Mm. And I felt everything within this movie was very natural and it all flowed and it all made sense. And her role in her, like in Joss Whedon's version of it, it very much felt like this was the Batman show with supporting actors, Wonder Woman, Flash, Cyborg, Superman, everybody else. In this version of it, it very much feels like Batman and Wonder Woman are co-stars together. And then everybody else is, you know, like they're like the the 1A, 1B together on the marquee. Mm-hmm. And then everybody else is behind. Them. I agree. And in addition to that, as 1A and 1B, they both fit well into their particular roles of what makes them 1A and 1B and what makes their character their characters. So I agree with you 100% on all of that. Yeah, it's it's really night and day with it. And, uh, and then the last good thing that I want to touch on before we pivot for a moment is the inclusion of Darkseid. Yeah. yeah. Holy shit, yeah. man. Did he take over the scenes that he was in? Yeah, yeah. It was, it, it blew me away. Absolutely blew me away. Yeah, uh, the I know the big comparison that 
um, that people make all the time is Thanos to Darkseid, right? Darkseid Dark Side came first, Marvel went Thanos, you know, it is what it is, right? But as far as, like, the comic books go, mm-hmm. Darkseid came first, right. and then Marvel had Thanos, and Thanos came out in the movies before Darkseid, um, and it's very easy to compare the two. And that was one of my big fears, is that this was just going to be a Thanos ripoff that Snyder was going to do, and people would just look at it and go, oh, it's, you know, a wannabe Thanos. Holy shit, this is the opposite of that, man. This is, uh, this was absolutely fantastic, the way that they were able to do this, and the way that they were able to do this with just the scenes that they had and, you know, the, the more limited budget that they had to fix up all the CGI and everything like this. I think he looked fantastic. Yeah. Every single thing about, about dark side was great. And, you know, I've always been more of a DC guy. So he's the one I was more familiar with and I loved it. And it not only was cool just in and of itself, he was cool in and of itself. It served the story really well. It served Steppenwolf really well. It served, you know, Batman and Superman and why we need Superman and and the the danger, the threat, all of it. It wasn't there just to have it there. It wasn't, you know, Daenerys Targaryen, Jon Snow riding dragons just you know, for the sake of showing that it has no service to the story. It's a waste of time. It's stupid. No, it served the story really well. And it was just super cool, super well done, super threatening, super ominous. Yeah, I agree. I agree a hundred percent. Can we just talk about the Omega beams for a moment? <laughs> Those were so fucking awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That was, I, I think it was a uh, nerd soup and I'm pretty sure it was Bo was like, yeah, I just want to see Batman somehow dodge uh, Omega beams uncontrollably for some stupid reason. And I was really wanting to see that. And I was a little disappointed. I didn't get to see it, but at the same time, the way that they used the Omega beams, I was like, holy shit, this is, whew, this is amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it really was. And the way we got two depictions of him, the like sort of, you know, zoom call one where he's metallic and, than the the real image one and you know those depictions were you know this is where Zack Snyder excels the visuals and really kind of crushed it so very happy Agreed. and the inclusion of granny goodness mm-hmm. too I don't, that was so fun i i love granny goodness as a character i think she's absolutely hysterical um everything about it is just so much fun and I'm so happy that they were able to include Granny Goodness in all that because it just it makes it that much more fun. And it ties everything it, again. It makes the universe feel bigger and it ties everything back in again. Right. And we got Apocalypse. You know, I was happy to see that. That's for me, at least. And I think a lot of us, DC, that's a pretty iconic location, you know. And I, yeah, I agree. Dark Seed, Dark Side, just having him in there, you know, why wouldn't he have been in? It just was great. So exactly. It made it all make sense and it brought everything together. And I, I loved everything about it, it, about dark side and everything like that. It was, it was great. Yeah. All right. So I think this is where we might start to diverge a little bit. Um, cause I didn't have a ton of criticism. So why don't you lay on us what you weren't thrilled with? And if there are some other things I, if you don't mention that I want to talk about, we'll get to them. What do you got? Yeah, so one of the, I was going to say, this wasn't all hunky-dory, great, let's go and run through it all. Um, One of the biggest issues for me is the setup of the movie. 
Um, and this has nothing to do with this movie in particular. It's just Snyder as an overall vision of the DCEU. The fact that this is a four-hour movie with this much setup in it, there was two hours worth of setup mm-hmm. and then two hours okay. worth of actual action and like sequencing and everything like that. You could have taken the first two hours and broken those into multiple movies for these characters, setting up, you know, the Justice League coming together. Like, it, it all should have been done. The all of this setup should have been done in what was Batman vs Superman, and it wasn't. I feel like all Batman vs Superman set up was Superman dying and didn't set up anything else. And like that's kind of just what this. It kind of like reaffirmed that for me, I guess. Because of the fact that there is these two hours in the beginning that's setting everything up. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, as far as like the grand picture is concerned, uh, that's one of the larger criticisms I have. But that doesn't really affect this and you know its contained environment all that much. Um, the bigger issue I have, and something that genuinely like I paused the movie, got up, and walked away for five minutes because it <laughs> actually kind of pissed me off. Um, was the scene when Superman comes back. Okay. And he's all pissed off, and, and Cyborg's suit goes off automatically off self-defense and tries to blow him up, and he's beating up everyone, right? And he gets to Batman, and Batman just cowers at him. And it's, Clark, Clark, Clark. Mm. It it didn't it didn't do it for me. It I understand from, you know, a mindset perspective, Bruce is trying to get through to him. He's not trying to be aggressive towards him. He's trying to calm him down, this, that, the other thing. But that's not who Batman is. Batman doesn't fold like that. Batman would have had a contingency plan made for this. He would have known, okay, you know, we're going to bring back Superman. This is a possibility that, you know, he's not going to be the same guy. Let's make a contingency plan for this. Let's have something in place to make sure that, you know, this is handled appropriately. Not just him cowering next to a cop car pleading for his life. And that is something that I absolutely despise about this depiction of Batman. Is Batman, to me, and the Snyderverse and everything like that. Or Batman vs. Superman, he was very good at planning. He was very good at having all of these things you know, contained. And he had plans for everything and had his traps and his, his gadgets and everything. And this movie... It felt almost like a betrayal to the character for me, where it felt as almost as if he was not as smart as he is, or not as cunning as he is, or not as prepared as he is. Like we, everybody always makes the joke, you know, who would you rather fight, uh, you know, Iron Man in his Iron Man suit, or you know, Batman with two hours of preparation? It's because Batman prepares for everything. That's why it's the joke, and it's. I feel like this was just a large betrayal to his character and a core thing about him that I just, I couldn't get behind with it. It, it really struck me the wrong way. You know, you, you make a good point and I'm not going to disagree. There's that part of me that while you were saying it once, wants to pull out of my ass and say, no, that was his plan to play the, to play the victim because that'll play into Clark's, you know, the goodness of him that he doesn't kill and that he's not like that. So that was, he was being strategic. I can't pull that on my ass. That's bullshit. Because I know that that's not the intention of what they were doing and that it was a deviation from the character. So I, you know, yes, like you said, doesn't want to engage, hostile. But no, he would have been more prepared. He wouldn't cower. In addition to that, you know, 
Yeah, they did deviate from the brilliance of the character. I'm talking about, you know, the mind, the the strategic. And also the couple of times with Alfred, the whole faith thing, that's not who he is. He's not a, you know, I'm having faith, you know, we're going to go with the flow and see what happens. I'm just going to try. No, that's not. It is, you know, it didn't upset me to the point. And, you know, I'm, I'm Batman, you know, that's, I, that's, that's my, that's my jam. That's, Do we need to tell the Halloween story again? No, we don't. Um, <laughs> so it didn't take me out of it. It didn't anger me, but I was like, yeah, yeah, you're, you're not getting it. So the, I didn't think it with that scene that you're talking about, but when, now that you pointed out, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. And to be fair, I think the reason why I both forgive it, you know, the whole faith thing, and why I overlooked it in the scene you're talking about is because I love Ben Affleck. You know, I like him as an actor and as a filmmaker. Um, both Dan and I root for him in real life and his, you know, challenges, you know, uh, and I've liked him as Batman. I've, I have. So I think there's an inclination to maybe see past it and maybe not even see it sometimes. But here's where I'm going to land. You are correct. I would agree with you there. That is a fair and legitimate. That's completely fair. So that's my biggest issue with the film is just the betrayal of the Batman character okay. with it. Mm-hmm. Um, my other issue, but I I wouldn't even categorize it as an issue, really, if I'm being honest. Uh, the other thing that I've just noticed, or didn't just notice, but you know, during the film, and and talking to you, what you said made made a ton of sense to me about this was the Martian manhunt, uh, Martian manhunter character, right? He shows up for a scene where he pretends to be Clark's mom talking to Lois and everything like that. And then, you know, he disappears. And then he doesn't come back again until an after credit scene. Where the hell was he during the fighting? And now, from the practical side of things, I understand the fact that, you know, a lot of his scenes may not have been shot. You know, he may have had larger roles in this and, you know, they just weren't completed because they didn't have the footage or the time or he stepped away and then his character got cut. You know, I understand all of that from that aspect of it. I understand that there's there's parts to this film that still, even after all this time, weren't completed because they just weren't shot. Mm-hmm. I get it. But at the same time, I just feel like that is such a large character and such a big thing to put in there that, like, to just kind of wedge it in there to be like, yeah, this is Martian Manhunter, haha, here he is, is kind of sad to me. And, like, like I get it. I was very happy that he was included because this is the first time Martian Manhunter's ever been, like, mentioned in live action like this, like, on the big screen. Um, so I'm very happy from that perspective. But at the same time, it felt this was one of the only things that felt very forced in this entire movie. It felt like they he wanted Martian Manhunter in this movie. And this is the one scene that I had of him. So this is where we're going to put him. And it just felt very weird and very not. It, it, I don't know. It, it just it tasted weird to me. I can all the way around. I can understand that. I mean, my experience with it was different. I'm watching it. And when I see the red eyes flash, and I, I'm like, what's happening? And the cutaway, and you're not sure. I'm like, what's happening? And when saw it was Martian Manhunter, I literally gasped. Like, I had an audible, you could hear it gasp. I was just so happy. And yes, it's forced, but it's fan service, I think, a little bit. 
And there are certain times that I'm completely okay with that. And for me, this was one of them. It's like, I don't care. I don't care. I don't care that it's forced because you're right. It is. I don't care that there are, you know, maybe questions as to why he wouldn't have been. And I can, we can answer those why he wouldn't have been a little bit, you know, but it'll still won't be concrete. Well, the, the, logic that you gave me privately made sense and i don't know if you want to repeat that sure you know that martian manhunter is the last of his race the last of his planet so he is very secretive and protective and he doesn't know these people this is not a cohesive team yet these are you know they're all wild cards so he's not ready to jump in with them just yet you know and he one thing i also thought of is you know, in the comics, he's a police officer, and in this, they made him a general. So he's working at it through that way. That's how he's serving. So he wasn't ready. So I'm cool with that. Um, and I agree with you, just the logistics of it. It wasn't filmed, and they put it in there to get it in there. And uh, I was just so over the moon that. L- let me tell you something. I was so over the moon with this that I was totally fine that we didn't get like a real Green Lantern. You know, Justice League, Green Lantern. Okay, that that really, that says something. Exactly. Like, all right, this works. I'll take this. Hundred percent. Yeah, we're good. Yeah. No, that that's a good segue for me because that's the last thing that kind of, you know, I was a little bit upset about was just the lack of any Green Lanterns or anything like that. I even you know cameo for Ryan Reynolds or some shit like that. I would have been fine with. Um, the CGI ones that they threw in there were cool. They were fun, uh, but you know. Hal Jordan, John Stewart, they are key members of the Green Lantern Corps and key members of Justice League. So, you know, I I would have enjoyed them being in this a little bit more, mm-hmm. uh, or not a little bit more, but just in it in general. But also, again, I understand that there were plans for them to be in Justice League 2 or something, so they weren't in this one, so I, I get it. Yeah, and first of all, I will say unequivocally, I would not have wanted the Ryan Reynolds Green Lantern in this. I like Ryan Reynolds, you know, and nobody likes the Ryan Reynolds Green Lantern. It's just this movie was too good, too serious to have that goofiness. It's like, don't don't overlap those worlds. I wouldn't have wanted that. Yes, I do think Jon Stewart or Hal Jordan should have been alluded to, but I do know from what I read, and I don't know how true it is, that he wanted John, Jack Snyder wanted to do something with Jon Stewart, um, that Green Lantern, but was told no by Warner Brothers or DC. And which just they said, you can't, we want to do different. And whether it was Justice League 2, like you said, or they had other plans, but he wanted to. I don't know how true that is, but yeah, it, it could have been. But, you know, I'll live with Martian Manhunter. You know, I, I like that you got the one in the flashback, you got the one in the flash forward, which was Kilowog. You know, I paused it a few times, like, yep. that's Kilowog. So, that's cool but yeah we could have had more so i'm with you all right but martian manhunter cool stuff yeah those were my my biggest complaints really you know they and at the end of the day they're not really even complaints yeah it it is what it is um let's talk about the the end credits real quick okay yeah you know the the last two scenes i guess Mm -hmm. right were there two or three i forget um the the first one which is a similar end credit that we saw to what we got with the weeding cut was Jesse Eisenberg on his boat with death strokes showing up. But instead of it being, uh, we got to form a legion of our own, you know, this was supposed to set up a uh, Batman versus Deathstroke movie with Jesse Eisenberg's Lex Luthor 
giving death deathstroke bruce wayne as batman um what were your thoughts you know briefly on this well as i mentioned to you privately you know we we're not fans of some of the casting you know i thought you know ezra miller we're not a huge fan of that casting jason moe not a huge fan of that it they don't ruin the movie for me um this movie i thought they were just fine in it Jesse Eisenberg is the one casting, and I have nothing against Jesse Eisenberg as an actor, but I, I've always thought he was maybe the worst comic book casting in history. Lex Luthor, you know, I, I know what they were going for from the comics, and they've talked about it, and I respect that, but no, you, you, you did it wrong. It's the one moment of the movie that takes me out of the movie is seeing him, because it's just, he's horrific. I don't like that as Lex Luthor, so it ruins it for me in that moment, but not like the whole movie. Um, and I understand, I would have loved to have seen a Batman and Deathstroke movie. And I understand why they put that Deathstroke scene in there, because it does set up what's coming next. But that's it, you know, that's all I have to say about that. What are your thoughts on it? Yeah, pretty much the same as you. Jesse Eisenberg sucks as Lex Luthor. Uh, Joe Maganello as Deathstroke is fantastic right? and should have. <laughs> like, I, I would have loved to have seen that. Isn't it? You isn't know, it Joe... bittersweet watching that? Because you're like, oh, oh, what if? If only. Especially because they had that teaser footage that Ben Affleck tweeted out, like mm. right after this or during this or whatever, and like it was him walking and everything. So like it was <sighs> moving. It would have been so much fun, but at the end of the day, you know, it is what it is. Um, I literally was thinking about when I'm watching the boat drive up to the yacht and I know he's on it because we've seen it before, literally running through comic book storylines like, oh, with that strip. Oh, that would have been. So, yeah, but, you know. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and then we'll we'll pivot to the next one, which is the nightmare sequence. Um, absolute fucking bonkers of a sequence. I'm not even going to front this. This was... In this nightmare sequence, this was more entertaining in this two-minute sequence, this two-minute scene, than the entire weeding cut of the Justice League. Spot on. Couldn't agree more. It, the dialogue was fantastic. The What was actually happening in it was amazing. The The way that the world was set up was, was you know, perfect. And then the sequence between Joker and Batman talking between each other, this was the best uh david leto's uh jared leto whatever the fuck his name is leto's joker ever looked um from a physical aesthetic standpoint from a the lines that he actually had he's not doing that creepy ass get over here kind of thing to to harley all the time the the conversation that they had about you know batman losing you know his robins and and Joker losing Harley and, you know, everything going on. And then Deathstroke in the background asking Batman, like, was it smart if we brought him here? And su evil Superman showing up. Man, that was fucking fantastic, that entire scene. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. It was set up perfectly with that other scene with Deathstroke. Let you know who he is. Let you know he's clearly a foe of Batman. And then, boom, all of a sudden, now they're working together. It showed... A maturation of Zack Snyder as a filmmaker, because this was clearly filmed, you know, in the last year where the original Justice League was filmed, you know, five years ago, where he's now it's dialogue, 
you know, Zack Snyder doesn't do dialogue very well, but him and Batman and Joker having that dialogue, it shows a maturation of Jared Leto, who I've always liked Jared Leto as an actor. And Suicide Squad was just a cesspool of a movie. Not We don't talk about yeah, it. It never happened. So I can't knock Jared Leto. I think he's a good actor. I think he could be a great Joker. I thought he was great in the scene. I, you know, what you said that this little, you know, little short movie thing we got, this little clip was better than the entire Joss Whedon Justice League. Yeah, the exchange between Jared Leto and Batman, you know, Joker and Batman, it was great. It was, oh, and the way it was filmed, you know, like, it's not a dream, but it's got that ethereal look to it. You know, it shows that Zack Snyder can film a freaking scene. He's a technical marvel in some ways. So, yeah, I dug it. It was just fun. It was cool. So, I need to ask you this before we move on to the last piece of that that scene um do we well let me actually fast forward i guess we'll we'll talk through the entire scene and then we'll we'll double back to it so ben affleck batman wakes up then from this nightmare um comes outside and he sees martian manhunter who introduces himself and pretty much says like hey i'll have your back in the coming wars or whatever did that do anything for you as far as what? What do you mean? Did it do anything for me? Did, did it? Did it spark anything for you? Did it jazz you up? Anything? Did it? Did it? You know? Did it make you happy? Yeah, it made me happy. Okay, cool. I'm um, I'm in the same boat. I was happy with it. I was like, okay, like if that was like a true after credit scene in like the theaters, I'd be hyped. Oh yeah. Like I'd be like, oh shit, awesome, dope, fun, hundred percent. Um, knowing that there's nothing more coming down the pipeline, like, okay, it is what it is. You know, it's fun. Um, but if there was more coming down the pipeline, I'd be, I'd be over the moon about it. Oh, I'd be so wow. Happy. Yeah. See, that's the thing. You know, it's funny, Kyle, we don't get viewing experiences like this. This is it. it and now it's even more funny here. Stick with me for this. Um, we talked about how we'll never get something like the MCU, this decade, this lightning in a bottle of a movie universe. It's just so unique. And then DC has its own dysfunctional, we'll never get this, because we'll never get a 2020 like we had with a pandemic and lockdown and no movies and this and that. And that caused us to get a Snyder Cut. We don't get the sequence of events that all lead up to us being home, you know, in March 2021 and being able to watch a four-hour complete overhaul of a movie like this. So all of this is so super unique and my where i'm also going with this is am i enjoying watching Zack snyder's justice league because you're fixing what was originally done or am i enjoying it on its own if i had just seen it fresh on its own i honestly can say both so i enjoy it that you've righted a wrong and i enjoy it that you've given me something on its own accord that i think is beautiful and that i love and I can enjoy it knowing that that's it. You're not giving me any more. And there's, you know, open-ended storylines, but it's okay. There still feels like closure and enjoyment in that closure. You know, but if you decide to go more, yeah, I'm kind of over the moon with Kyle on it too. So yeah, I hope all that made sense. No, it, it made perfect sense and kind of summarized how I feel about it as well. Um, now the one thing I do need to ask you that we're going to speculate on, even though we're never going to get an answer to this, at least theatrically, you get an answer to it. Maybe Snyder will answer it one day, but, uh, 
the nightmare sequences that have occurred now through Batman vs Superman and now in Justice League. Do we think that is Bruce getting an a premonition into the future? Do we think that's just what it is? It's just a nightmare that he's having? Or do we think he's getting a vision into a different universe and into like a different Batman who's living in this nightmare world? Well, I know I watched um, one of my favorite YouTube channels, Screen Crush, with Ryan Airy, who breaks down the stuff that we like, and he's very brilliant. He dropped a video on YouTube this morning where he broke down the storyboards that Zack Snyder has for what he had intended after this. So it sort of does answer the question you're asking, sort of. But it is sort of inferring that, yeah, it's a glimpse into the future. Now, is it a glimpse into this particular Batman that we have, his future? It does seem as though it is, as far as alternate timeline type futures. Because he talked about what the Flash did at the end with reversing time, you know, multiverse Flashpoint type stuff. So help me, what was the exact question again? Because I don't know if I answered it. Uh, Do you think this was a premonition of the future and the current timeline? Uh, Or a look from Batman into a different timeline that's already occurred? Or do we think that uh, it's just what it is and it's just him having a bad dream? No, I think it's the, the first one. Him looking into the future? Yeah. Or him getting premonitions of the future? Yeah, potential future. Yeah, it's not bad dream stuff. No. Okay. What do you think? So, I think... So, you brought up the great point of Barry Allen reversing time. I think in that moment, a separate timeline occurred. Mm-hmm. And in that separate timeline is the nightmare sequence, gotcha. and that's where it exists. Okay, and it exists parallel to the to the universe that they're in, mm-hmm. and because it's splintered off of that moment, because we all know how DC loves their multiverse, mm-hmm. and they have you know Earth One, Earth Two, Earth Fifty, you know Seven, everything like that. I think this is all. If this is all hypothetically taking place in Earth One, right? I think what occurred is when Barry went back in time like that. It splintered and fractured Earth-1 into Earth-1A, mm. mm-hmm. which is what we got in the movie, and then Earth-1B, which is the nightmare sequence. And that either two, one of two things is going to happen. Either they're going to come back and converge on each other, and the nightmare sequence can then become the current sequence, where we get like an Injustice storyline where... Do you know... Are you familiar with Injustice? Um, somewhat, yes. Okay, so the... For those listening at home, the the short end of Injustice is exactly what I just described. There's two timelines happening at the same time. Uh, in one of the timelines, everything's hunky-dory and normal. In the second timeline, uh, there's an evil Superman who goes on a killing rampage because the Joker killed Lois Lane. Um, and he turns evil and takes over the world. Uh, so there are heroes from the current timeline that jumps over into the evil Superman timeline to try to defeat him. So I think that's where he may have been going with this, where when those two timelines come back together, the evil Superman then jumps over and is, you know, that's then we're fighting dark side and evil Superman at the same time that we're seeing everything going on. Yeah, that's that's a great I I think uh, I think I agree with you. I think that that would make sense. So there's a lot there and none of it makes sense because it's DC and it's Snyder and it's all over the map unless if you actually read the comics and i hate that paywall but 
Yeah. Don't know all. And that that goes to, and I said this when we talked about Endgame, which I love Endgame, but, you know, the time travel resets, the multiverse stuff, I'm not a fan of it. I think it's, I think it's weak story. I think it's cool storytelling in a way. I shouldn't say it's weak, but it's kind of, it's cheating in a storytelling way. It can still work, but I'm just not a fan of it. And like you just point clearly illustrated it can be confusing, you know? It, yeah, so. it it gets too confusing. It gets too Con- kind of convoluted. Exactly. Um, so I'm I'm happy that we're not going to be getting into that anymore or anything like that. I'm happy that we got the closure mm-hmm. of this film. I'm happy that the fans, uh, the, you know, the diehard fans of Snyder were able to get this done. I'm happy for Snyder was able to get this done. I just, the one thing that I'm now very reserved and hesitant about is I hope this never fucking happens again. Where a movie comes out, and then the movie bombs, and then the director comes out. I know, like, this is super unique circumstances with everything that, you know, this should just be a one-off. But how people are now, like, release the error cut for Suicide Squad, right? Just because your movie came out and sucked doesn't mean that you have the right to go back and redo it again. That's not how it works. Right. Right. Right, and I just hope this has not become a precedent of oh look at the success that this is happening, they having. Let's keep doing this. So yeah, I I would agree with you that I don't want that either. Um, I do think that yeah, these were extraordinary circumstances. If we don't have the 2020 that we had, where nobody's making anything, nobody's doing anything, everybody's at home and online, and it lent itself to it. So. I think it was an extraordinarily unique time. I don't see it happening again. You're always going to have the Ridley Scotts who spend two decades tinkering with Blade Runner because the studio usurped them. You're going to have the George Lucas, maybe, who keeps adding to his stuff and all that. But yeah, I don't think we're going to have a complete overhaul. We're never going to get a complete overhaul of the final season of Game of Thrones or other things like that. Um, So yeah, I think it's a... I think it's a pretty dope one-off, and I'm cool with that. I agree. Yeah. So my overall reaction to this, it's fun. It's good. It's worth the four hours. I watched this by myself. I'm going to probably watch it again with Kate on a second viewing mm-hmm. to you know, watch through it again this weekend. Um, but overall, I, I, I enjoyed it. I know we're rusty, uh, so we're almost forgetting, but what's your score? My score is, uh, what I give it on Letterbox. Give me one moment. Uh, Letterbox, I gave it a. Oh wow, me and Bo have the same score almost. Uh, I gave it a three and a half out of five. So I will equate that. <laughs> I was like, "What, you dick?" <laughs> I will equate that to a seven point five. Wow. Okay. Okay. Um, for the record, or actually, if I'm doing that, no, I'm doing math wrong. I equate that to a seven. So you know what? I'll round up to seven point five on it. There you go. Okay, it's shocking that I didn't check your math there and, and notice the error, but we'll let that pass. <laughs> yeah. Um, for the record, Dan, who couldn't join us today, he loved it. He compared it to Lord of the Rings in its epic scale. I think that's a little strong, but you know, Dan loved it. So I'm not going to speak for him with a score, but he loved it. I'm going to give it a nine and a half. 
Damn. Yeah, I know that I have emotional reactions. We all do. And my emotional reactions usually tend to be weighted on the good side. And after reflection, I'm usually like, I give that a nine and a half. A little strong. Um, but again, also grading on a huge, weird curve, you know, that unique and extraordinary circumstances. How do you grade it? You grade it on its own merits. You grade it on what it fixed. You grade it on the fact that we haven't had anything. All of it, you know, Kyle is Harry Potter, Star Wars, DC, uh, you know, and some other things. I'm Game of Thrones, DC. These are things that we're married to in such a deep and intimate way. And if you can make me love it the way I loved it yesterday, I'll happily give a nine and a half. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. My my favorite things right now are I'm going through a bunch of different letterbox reviews. Or, and they're all just saying the same thing. He did it. That crazy son of a bitch, he did it. <laughs> that's great. And I feel like that's just the most appropriate, like review of this movie is just how to summarize it perfectly yeah i agree we're all stunned because we were like eh, at least we'll have something to watch you know like holy shit crazy son of a bitch did it (laughs) that's great yeah it looks like the consensus on letterbox too is uh 3.7 is the average rating out of five so okay yeah, and um, did we? You had said earlier what the Rotten Tomatoes score was. Yeah, ninety-seven for fans, seventy-five for critic. Pretty damn good. Yeah. So all right. that's all I got on the Snyder Cut. You got anything else? I think we have given this the lengthy, weighty review that something of this lengthy and weighty viewing deserves. So I think we're good. I agree. I don't know when the fuck we'll be back, but we'll be back. I guarantee it. <laughs> when something like this happens again. Yeah, exactly. When when the stars align for Zack Snyder to redo his movie, that's that's when we come back. Hey, so there you go. Uh, we'll we'll figure something else out. Uh, you know, we'll we'll try to get back into this at least semi regularly. You know, a couple times a month, hopefully. Just try to get our feet wet again and get going on us because uh, it was enjoyable, and I and I, I need to roast Dan a little bit. So yeah. So, all right, cool. Uh, that's all I got. I'm out of here. All right, peace. Phantom Academy, follow us everywhere. Yep, do it. Peace. Okay, peace. Well, there was a time when you would let me know what's really going on below. Now you never show that to me. Ooh.